0: What's going on, y'all? It's your boys, Jordan and Abraham. And once again, we're joined by Samir. He's a professional runner, so he's your fast friend. I'm an MD, PhD student, so I'm your smart friend. And Samir doesn't have any hair, so I guess he's he's your bald friend. But importantly, we are friends who read One Piece. And unfortunately, we could not read One Piece because there was no the chapter this week. It was, you know, not the best. But it gave us the opportunity to talk about the arc that just finished, the most recent arc that finished, one, and what we think we can do to improve the arc and the issues that we had with the arc as a whole. So, Jordan, why don't you start off by telling me what were your major problems with Wano as a whole?
1: Yeah, man. Well, it's it, it's one of the most hyped arcs that we've experienced Oda said it would make Marineford look cute, the one where Luffy's brother and Whitebeard both die. We introduced to the strongest people in the world. And especially with that backdrop, it was wildly disappointing to me. It felt like a normal Shonen arc. And, like, for a One Piece arc, was beyond disappointed. So the first thing for me is it was too long almost 20% of the whole story of one piece which is kind of ridiculous was all in one setting for a journey where we've been going island to island experiencing all kinds Isn't, of different worlds different villains things like that
2: that is might it be really normal that long?
1: it's pretty I'm sorry close. to interrupt it but is, it's uh, that's crazy it's
2: 150 chapters is the Holy wano shit. arc when from the moment we land on wano to the moment we leave it is 150 chapters uh, it's around oh, that
0: yeah, right. so twenty
1: percent is maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's it's like fifteen percent for sure. And for a single crazy. arc at this point in the story is an insane amount of time as far as like the amount of space that that's taking up within the story. Wow. Yeah. So that's a little bit longer than you thought. As far as other things being too long, the final battle was also way too long and way too stagnant. it felt like we were in one setting for way too much of it.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I I agree. The rooftop definitely dragged a lot dur, dur, during that. Yeah,
1: man. Just from the raid, we were at like 978. Then another 22 chapters and the raid began. And then another 50 chapters. Or then we were on the roof. And it's like literally another 50 chapters from the point that we were actually standing supernovas all next to the Emperor's. We had a full 50 chapters before we were actually done. That's not just the length of the story there, but it's also the fact that we were in the same exact setting with not a lot of progression of the battles, of the fights, etc. Then when we finally actually did get to beat the emperors, you know, push Kaido down to the bottom of the volcano close to where Pluton is, it took a power-up that was way too fast and also felt incredibly unearned. When you compare it to the rest of the story, you have like 350 chapters, no power-ups. Like another, around 350, we at gear second and third. Another 150 chapters just to get hockey and like the middle of a time skip, really it's probably more like 200 chapters. Then from there, you have Fishman Island, all of Dressrosa, another 200 something chapters just to get gear fourth after we've had gear third for a couple, You know, almost half of the story at that point a small power-up at Whole Cake Island in Future Sight. And then when we get to Wano, it's like over just a course of about 100 chapters, we got Rio, Advanced Conqueror's Hockey, and Gear 5th, which are all almost more powerful or at least as powerful as some of the power-ups earlier in the story. And all of that happened within one arc. Yeah.
0: No, um, to that point, it, it did, it, I think, especially Gear 5th, Felt unearned by the end of what because we you show up to the rooftop and I don't know about how you felt but to me it was very clear that Luffy was not on Kai's level when he first gets to the rooftop right even with Ryo. and so I kind of came in with the expectation that much like in the Katakuri fight he would he would level up but I think it was that second level up in Gear Fifth as well that really just came out of the blue. Um, we we just hear about Nika. I'm sure you you know that you're gonna get to that later. But like we just heard about Nika for the first time, like five ten chapters earlier. Yep. And yeah, at that point, it just it it felt like Luffy won almost. I don't want to say because of plot armor, but it kind of felt. It.
1: it didn't feel not. It didn't not feel like plot armor to me. His <laughs> victory over Kaido after you got shot down and you're drowning in the ocean, and then you managed to just suddenly turn into a god and defeat him. So completely with you there. And one of the things about the whole raid arc that felt disappointing to me was it felt like a waste of structure. When we're in Whole Cake Island, you have Luffy versus Cracker in the forest. You end up then on like a chase scene with everyone trying to run away from Big Mom. And at the same time as that, you have Luffy going into mirror world to fight Katakuri. I almost forgot about like my favorite moment from the whole arc, which is Luffy jumping out of the cake with the big mom. <laughs> and so for me, the raid felt like an opportunity to say, hey, this is what's going to be unique about this arc. And this is what how the fight is going to be structured. And instead it just felt like it devolved into one-on-ones like normal. Kaido was maybe a little bit tired, but there was no feeling of, the tightening of strings, the the feeling around people's necks, people feeling like they're suffocating. It felt really like a lot of stuff that was contrived and not necessarily unique to this to the setting of being in a raid, and that was also really disappointing for me.
0: Yeah, i i I think the main thing that I, I take away from your point is that it felt like there were no stakes, right? It felt like it. Right. I I did not. I didn't feel particularly um because I guess of how the pace of like how the raid was progressing, but I actually don't think it was because of, there were a bunch of one-on-ones because I think back then arc like Andy Slavi that is still my favorite arc in the series, which was all one-on-ones, right? The issue I think is that there were too much, too much emphasis on the side characters for me. And not, I, I'm not even just saying the scampons. I'm including the scampons when I say this, but I even mean characters like kid-in-law that I can, mm. I'm basically non-straw hats and i i think as much as people love law especially i don't read the story for him and so it yeah it it, it didn't it didn't feel like the the, the issue for me wasn't the, the 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 pace of the story being slowed down by one on ones it was that we spent so much time uh, in one on ones with characters that i didn't care very much about
1: well, I think I wanna... what you said actually I think what you said actually makes a lot of sense there about it being no stakes because that's really the issue with it's not that I don't mind one-on-one fights, but it's that if this is a raid and we're in the stakes of a raid, it's the chaos of the battle should have some kind of consequence. All of Marco fighting Queen should feel like it has some kind of consequence. Someone should be weaker. Maybe someone can beat someone that they weren't ready to beat elsewhere. When it devolves into the one-on-ones, it's not that I'm hating on -on one-on-ones specifically. It's the fact that this is a specific setting that has been created by what we've decided to do. Or by the way, Oda decided to set it up. And when it just falls back into one-on-ones, it feels like that entire setting and those entire stakes that were created feel irrelevant to how the battles ended up actually progressing. Samir, what you want to say?
2: No, I think I'm drawing a pretty good uh, line in between both your points is that first for Luffy's ascension to gear fifth, you know, his ascension into awakening his fruit, becoming Nika, it it 100% felt forced because like, and like we didn't understand anything about the Nika fable to the point that we do now for about what five to 10 chapters beforehand, that, that whole fable being introduced in the who's who versus Jinbei fight is ridiculous. And Honestly, the whole point of Luffy being a liberator was kind of lost because of how long Wano has gone and how long the raid was and how long the rooftop scene was. Because, in my opinion, you lose that emotional connection to seeing, you know, all the people who were oppressed by the failed smile fruits, people who don't have the water and the food. How long has it been since we've seen them suffer?
1: And and at least 75 me, chapters.
2: Exactly, exactly. And so I, 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 for me, on the reread, I felt it a little more is because on the reread, I'm obviously going a little faster. I'm not reading it week to week. But reading it week to week, you know, I, I totally forgot just how angry at Kaido I felt. But then again, I think with to your point about the side characters, Abraham, we we lose that anger at Kaido because honestly, it feels like my anger should be more directed towards Orochi for what he did to the country, mm. right? It's not, now Kaido is just somebody to, in my opinion, this is maybe a little of a hot take, but Kaido almost seemed like he was there to fill the void. And he was simply there because Orochi was handing him this country on a platter for him to make a base and for him to do all that. And and to that respect, I think that, I think that Law being here in the story makes sense because Law is the one who had the idea to defeat Kaido in the first place. Kid, however, to me, felt pretty inorganic. Kid, kid. I mean, let's be honest. Kid was here to, to get his ass beat, and then to get his ass beat again by Shanks later.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I agree. Kid, kid was an integral part of the the whole arc from Punk Hazard onwards. Or not kid law? Law. Law, law. law, was an integral part of that whole arc. Um, it just, it felt, it just felt weird that one of the emperors had like went down. And it wasn't the straw hats that did it, you know. Luffy says from Punk Hazard, like I'm going to take down all four of the emperors. And obviously, you know, in Wano, part of, part of the reason why I I was just a little lost and uh, like during Wano was that how how are we going to defeat? How is Luffy going to defeat both of these emperors? He's not even strong enough to take on one, right? And right. part of the answer is that he's not going to take on both of the emperors. He he only ended up taking on one, right? But um, Big Mom felt very, you know, unnecessary. Honestly, I I feel like I would have rather Big Mom not been in the flood at all because her crew, her crew wasn't involved. Oda just kept on like gag writing them out of the story, like they climb up the waterfall, they get kicked out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. A, a lot of a lot of a lot of these side characters that I, mean, Paris- I, I don't Barrow, feel Paris like
1: Barrow was could... definitely involved and did some stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. out there. It's the sort of thing he where. Was the only one yeah it's the sort of thing where that's just the same as that complaint i'm making earlier too where it's there's all these people who are there and it doesn't really feel like there's any kind of significance actually towards the final battle besides them just being around for someone to fight
2: oh 100 agree to that point because i feel like one piece is one of those older schooled shonens where in a group fight the good guys are only ever as strong as their strongest guy right? And then you look at some more modern series, um, you know, I'm only going to use this as an example, because let's be honest, everyone in that series loves Jump and Curses. Jujutsu Kaisen, the the, the tag team fights, the, the multi-people fights in that series, you have people creatively using their powers to make a difference. Whereas you, you look at One Piece and it's like, you know, you look at the, the five supernovas versus Big Mom and Kaido, and it doesn't, it honestly doesn't feel like anybody but Luffy's doing anything, <laughs> Right. Yeah. You know, L- L- Zoro gets his little moment, you know, I'm a Zoro stan, but like, let's be real. He gets his moment. He leaves a scar on Kaido, but that's it. That He doesn't really do anything. Right. You know, it- you're only as strong yeah. in these group fights in One Piece as your strongest character. So that's why it, it just feels like a waste of time. Exactly.
1: And that's one of the things that was actually great about Whole Cake when you go back and reread it is it feels like there is this shifting structure. It's like Nami manages to actually get Zeus to lay a giant Mm -hmm. blow at Big Mom. And they have this goal, which is a small goal of just being able to get outside the territory, but everyone's able to contribute in their own little way. In yeah. this arc, it just kind of feels like it's a bunch of 1v1s and none of it mattered until Luffy just yeah. turned into a sun god and punched Kaido. But Abraham, you know, I know I've yeah. been going on. Did you have? Yeah. Are there other complaints? Did I miss anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. you hit on a lot of
0: mine. Um, But uh, the biggest complaint that I had about the arc was that there were too many incomplete storylines, mm. to be honest. Just way, way too many. How do you mean? So... One example: the whole premise of the arc is that Odin sent his scabbards to, like, to open up the borders of, like, that was the command he gave them, as they're sent to the future, open the borders of the country, right? And the point of like overthrowing Orochi and Kaido is so that they can do this. We get to the end of the story to the point where the borders can be open, and Momonosuke is just like, you know what, I actually, and I understand the reason he's like, you know, opening the borders might allow enemies, like strong enemies like Kaido to come in, but like, the whole point of that, that like their whole mission was to open the borders of Wano, and just randomly, at the last second, Momo is just like, you know what, actually I don't think, I I don't feel comfortable opening the borders yet, and it also felt like that oh, was on. just like, a tool. You know they're going to gonna
1: open the borders at some point. Just like yeah, you know they are.
0: I'm sure they, I, I, I'm certain that they will. But like, that was, that was literally like, it, it would be like, uh, what's, uh, I'm trying to think of a good parallel in another arc where, let's say in Punk Hazard, the point is to destroy, or in Dress of Rosa, the point is to destroy the smile Factory, right? To, you know, right. to disrupt like. Kaido's whole chain of production and whatnot. Uh, and we get to the point where they're about to like they're ready to blow up the smile factory, and law's like, you know, I don't actually know how badly this is gonna disrupt the world order. Maybe we shouldn't just, you know, destroy the smile. Factory. It was this was the plan from the, the whole nah. idea, the mission of the arc was to just that we we don't we don't we don't necessarily need to go back and forth about that because i think there's a whole bunch of other incomplete storylines in in wano like we get hints about zoro's ancestry that go completely unanswered in the story
1: um uh what what, what are some other incomplete stories um i'm i'm with you that there are incomplete stories there i'm willing to extend oda a little bit of grace in suggesting that these are going to be things that get answered later on in the story it's we learned about the Ponglis in Alabasta, and I think there's a way in which the way Wano was hyped up made us feel as if we were gonna need to get those answers right now and get the full Zoro backstory and get every get answers about Pluton beyond just what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know that the fact that it's not answered right now is something that makes yeah. me feel bad about the story.
0: I I think for the, the open borders thing, I agree that it will get opened later. I don't think we're actually gonna get anything about Zoro's ancestry later in the story. Because you think about how expedited the series is becoming now, if there was any point, like if there was any point, Oda was going to be able to do this, take some half a chapter, a chapter to be like, this is Zoro's ancestor, he's related to Ryuma, whatever, how, whatever, whatever his ancestry is, it was during Wano, and I just have a hard time seeing him take time out of the story to to do that now when everything is just being paced so much more quickly. It would feel like the story would have to slow to a halt for like a chapter or two to do that now, which I don't really see happening. Um, the other, last last thing though, the, the other reason why I didn't like the them not opening the borders is because the Marines, oh, this is another thing, the Marines show up and they're like, you know, if Kaido and Big Mom are defeated, we're gonna raid water, we're gonna take down the Straw Hats. That was their plan, right? The moment Kaido loses, if he loses, we are going after the country. At no point was that contingent on the borders opening because they don't know that Momo wants to open the borders. Kaido loses and they're like, oh, they didn't open the borders, so we can't actually go into the country. And it just felt so, like, it felt like bad writing to be like, why, why did you even put the Marines outside the country anyway if you were just going to write them away. Like, just don't introduce the Marines into the storyline of Wano at all.
1: Was it not about the samurai being a worthwhile force? Like why the Marines didn't invade. why the Marines didn't come. Yeah.
2: I mean, we can argue that now that we've actually been through Wano, I really, really doubt we could call the samurai a worthwhile force.
1: <laughs> yeah. Listen, man, that's 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 what Akainu said. I'm just taking this man at his word. It's it's, it's unknown it's unknown at the least, I, but I do agree. That's another downside. I think his
0: I think historically that is the reason why they never really got involved in Wano. But the, I, I, I distinctly remember the Marines outside of Wano being like, we're going to invade if Kaido loses. And then after Kaido lost, they didn't invade because the borders weren't open. And I was, it just, it bothered me because it was like, you had no reason to believe that these borders were going to be open. So why was your plan all of a sudden contingent on this? You know, it felt like Odo was just introducing the Marines to be like, look, even if the Straw Hats beat the Beast Pirates, there's going to be a whole other enemy to face to kind of get people to stress about that. And then he just wrote them away, you know? I don't know. I yep. didn't like that. Um, and then a lot of my other complaints are stuff we've talked about. I think we spent too much time on side characters, so there was a lot of wasted content. And the accomplishments in the arc didn't really feel earned. Not just Gear fifth, but also uh, Zoro's moment against uh, King. While I loved the fight, I don't love the whole idea of we have a magic pill like a bean to give you to right, help right, you. Right. F- it basically gave him a bean to be like you know <laughs> like King now. I was just like, I would have rather Zoro just not have been on the rooftop. You know what I mean? And as great as the moment as that was for Zoro, and I loved that moment on the rooftop for Zoro, it 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 made the fight with King I don't know feel a little bit cheap. Fight.
1: or yep. just a tag team fight like exactly what you were saying earlier like it needs to like yeah. a fight in which we see Luffy and Zoro together be able to overcome this incredible force. But I'm going to say because I think a lot of the crux of a lot of these issues certainly the ones that I've brought up are are the fact that when we got to Wano the difference between our main characters our cast and Kaido was just too great. I think that a lot of the things that we're complaining about boiled down to that, that when we re- when we reach Wano, our characters are just simply not ready to actually take Kaido on, right? At the very beginning, Luffy gets completely one shot, and so we have to do a whole training arc when we get Ryo. Part of the reason that it takes a whole 50 chapters, literally just from getting on the roof, is the fact that even when we were actually facing up against the Emperor's we're completely outclassed, and Luffy just gets thrown back into the sea. And literally, the only reason he didn't die is because Kaido is like, oh, man, I just forgot the chop off your head. I should have just done that. Can I
0: say something real quick as well? That would have been an issue in Whole Cake Island if Oda didn't write in a great character like Kaido. Because in Whole Cake Island, you know, we have no chance. It's so clear we have no chance against Big Mom. I remember reading that and being like, what are they going to do about this woman? But then we get a more realistic antagonist that Luffy can feasibly, like, reach within the span of that arc, and we got a phenomenal fighter. But if Whole Cake Island hadn't had a character like Katakuri written into it, I think it would have had similar issues to what you're bringing up right now.
1: Yeah, man. But, man, you gotta let me get to my solution, because I have the solution.
0: Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. That's the
1: third point of my monologue, man. I think we could (laughs) fix all of these issues because the crux of them being that power difference that we didn't have to face in Whole Cake because we didn't actually try and defeat Big Mom. We were just running away. Everything would be solved if we had just one more island between Wano and Whole Cake. If there was a place for our characters to go to have a little bit of time to level up. Maybe Nami finds a way to keep Zeus there. Maybe Luffy goes there and learns Ryo from some random master who happens to be there. We're able to we would be able to get through Wano, cutting out a lot of the cutting out a lot of the empty space that just gets stuck running around Udon with Queen, with uh Kyogoro trying to level up with Rio. We could have even learned advanced conquerors on that island and had Luffy come to the point where he feels like he's ready to actually fight. Because Rio and advanced conquerors are really sort of you know, two sides of the same coin, right? You'd be able to actually go up against Kaido and have a chance to be able to punch him. You'd be able to take out a lot of that time that we had to go. Luffy gets defeated. Luffy comes back. Luffy gets defeated. Luffy's still too weak before he has this power-up that he doesn't deserve. We'd be able to actually fight from the beginning and while the stakes would still be against us our characters would definitely be strong enough to have the ability to do that and then gear fifth would be its own power up and its own arc dedicated to dedicated to luffy achieving the powers of the sun god and additionally in that previous arc you could have it be themed around people knowing who nika is and you can introduce that character so like you said it's not just a random introduction between who's who and Jimbei, and the most irrelevant fight out of all of the fights, other than that, to- other than that knowledge.
0: Yeah, I so couple. One, I think the big big question I have for you right now is: Would this extra arc that you would introduce into the story? Because I think there's a lot of logistical issues in doing that. Would that just involve the star Hats from Whole Cake Island, like Brook, Chopper, Sanji, Luffy, and Nami? Because half the crew is not there,
1: right? It's a good question, and I think you can write some creative solutions where maybe the crew who was going to Wano got sidetracked with something else. They were in Dressrosa altogether, and then they ended up having to run away. Maybe they have a run-in with someone from the Marines or Fujitora or something that's going to set some plot up later in the story. Maybe just the log pose happens to take them to a different place. I I think you do because we've been separate from the whole Straw Hat crew for so long want to create a place that all the straw hats can be or at the very least an interesting or new configuration of them can be so we're not just watching the same whole cake people for another arc because like i'm saying the the repetitiveness is something that can be a little bit dull but i think you write it such that there's a new kind of villain a new kind of people being terrorized and the straw hats are able to actually come in and learn something and find some strength. In the way that Luffy got his little power up against Katakuri, we have more significant power ups with Conqueror's Hockey and and Rio in that location.
0: What kind of enemy antagonist do you think? I guess, sorry. Two questions. One is is this more of like a training arc, like the three, like a shortened version of the three D two Y. That you're thinking of or is there an antagonist that you would expect to be on this arc uh, on this island and if so who would that be because i do think in terms of the threat level of enemy that we would need to face at this point there are very limited options in the store right i don't i think we all agree albaf is being set apart for Shanks, so we can kind of write him out maybe it would just be big mom is the enemy again like on this arc, she just follows them to this latest one. I don't know. Who do you think uh, would be a fitting antagonist for that kind of island?
1: It's a good question because I also think you're right that if Big Mom just showed up there, none of us even really like her being on Wano. So if it was, we run away from Big Mom and now suddenly Lupi just fought Katakuri and now he's strong out to fight Big Mom. I don't think most of us would like that in that setting. But I do think that the villain of that arc we have a lot of characters of lore just sat around elsewhere in the world. We know there's rocks pirates just sitting around everywhere. We have people from the freaking movies and Captain John or whomever, whoever just running around. I think there's ways you could introduce people from the lore who are going to end up being significant in ways. Because we still are having new character introductions, whether it's people from Sword, whether it is all. All, we didn't even know remember we didn't know who the rocks pirates were at the beginning of Wano. so you could actually use that as a place to introduce concepts like rocks as well as the sun god Nika, maybe even a little bit about god Val.
0: samir, samir uh, you want you have something you want to say
2: yeah actually to to both of your points um i feel like using jordan's springboard of the having an island before wano you could resolve also i think the absolute you know inundation of too many side characters in wano by having either a commanders of the big mom pirates or the other supernovas who were sitting around in wano and let's be i mean i all of us spend a lot of time consuming one piece media one piece internet social you know etc we don't really see that many people who are like, Oh man, I love X Drake or Oh man, I love Apu, I love Basil Hawkins. We don't let's be honest. Like I'm sure people like those characters, but I know I am not seeing that many people who are all in on those characters. And and frankly, I mean yeah. having them as antagonists, you know, as, as like Kaido's forward commanders or something like that on an island, I I, I could see that working, right? Because I think no, just just why introduce them as the worst Gener. I mean, you give, like, let's be honest, like, Law and Bonnie and Kid are getting all this attention, right? Um, obviously, Luffy and Zoro are getting to get this attention. Killer Killer goes with Kid. Um, the other six of them, you know, like, we got some with, with Capone, gang, gang beige, but everyone else... I want to just kind of shove them into the story to get rid of them, in my opinion, you know? And Bro, I think you're Hawkins right. That, that would
1: give, us, was, give yes. us a real opportunity to face off against those guys, also have it still feel like an extension of the Wano country arc. And I think I actually really like the idea of it being someone who's from the old generation, whether it's someone who was on the rocks pirates fought against the rocks pirates, it doesn't have to be someone who's really going to be significant for the end game in a way that a lot of everyone from probably egghead on is going to be. But I think it'd be an opportunity to say, Hey, here's a character who's pretty strong, who's running around the world, who knows certain things about the world that can, who can give us certain lore drops about the world that we're not going to get otherwise. And using that in an art combined with Kaido's forces, I think could give us a really interesting setup. But in similar to what you're saying with the world building or the, uh, the number of characters in Wano being chaotic and there not being way too many loose threads, I think this is an opportunity, one, to give us just the sense of wonder and fun that we feel in a place like Egghead, Sabauri, like when you show up to an island and you're able to have this experience of, oh my God, we're in a new place. This is so cool. You'd be able to have that and a few more character moments for the Straw Hats, which I think we would all appreciate, while also being able to reduce the amount of space you have to actually fill for all the different characters who are spending time with them, whether it is the scabbards being able to meet up a little bit earlier, a few of them, introduce them for longer in the story, um, or just... Or the villains giving police giving people like Hawkins, DA Strake, or or uh Apu a little bit of time to have some interesting character development. I think that would really be a lot of fun and give us some some really interesting material to then go into Wano being ready and not having had to jam all of it into one place.
0: Yeah, no, I I think honestly a lot of those changes would have made the arc a lot more enjoyable. But I think right now it's time for us to move on to S class versus F class, everybody's favorite topic, and we're changing up the format a little bit this time. Samir is going to be reading out a couple theories, and we'll see if Jordan and I are on the same page this week or if we're not. So, Samir, do you want to you want to start off? Yeah, let's kick it off. So, one one of the theories,
2: Abraham has brought us this theory, and uh, it's the Blackbeard's double fruit theory. Why Blackbeard's Logia fruit doesn't work like a typical Logia. Uh, the theory is essentially summarized as uh, Blackbeard is always in a weakened state because he's standing in light. Um, just like how Crocodile is weak to water, you know, his sand's weak to water, Blackbeard can't pass through attacks when he's standing in light. Um, we've only ever seen him standing in light, so of course we're going to see him tank all these attacks. Uh, the theory continues in that if Blackbeard is in the shadows or is in a place where there's no light can he use his fruit like a normal logia? If he awakens it, can he then absorb light itself and make the area around him dark? Um, that's the theory that comes to us from uh, Reddit, username DJ Osh.
0: Also, one thing to add is that they, the the guy says, uh, Gyro Girl says, the reason why his crew covers up someone like Whitebeard with a blanket before taking his devil fruit is that he needs complete darkness or you know, to... to really achieve the power of his fruit in order to like steal the the quake quake fruit from
1: Whitebeard you know what man do you think yeah. Jordan? I'm just so much more interested in the Blackbeard has some kind of other god fruit theory than this like kind the of Cerberus, theory uh,
2: the Cerberus zone or the Octopus zone I, I don't zone. know
1: if it's Cerberus yeah Octopus zone Hydra zone uh, to be fair that's a different fruit than the Dark Dark fruit but I'm yeah. talking about in the way that the gum gum fruit was actually the Nika fruit. Mm-hmm. I think the idea that this is going to be something like kind a of moon other... god. Some... Right. It could be a moon god. It could be a darkness god. It could be something else. I really have no idea what it would be. But I'm so much more into that theory that I think you brought up a couple weeks before. That I've got to give this one an S class, man. F class. F class. I just I oh, don't no, see dude. I don't see any way that he's oh, going to be mom, absorbing mom. light. That's, it's, it's just too complicated yeah. so, of a use for the power to actually be something that would be particularly interesting or fun in a shonen manga.
0: I feel like there's a distinction between whether or not you believe something will happen and whether or not it's an S versus F class theory. Because I don't think that's... when I, I don't think his awakened devil fruit is necessarily going to be that. I don't think that's why his, uh, they put a cape over a a white beard before stealing this fruit. I think he probably killed Whitebeard, had, like, an apple with him, and then ate the apple when it turned into a devil fruit or something. Right? (laughs) Like, that's more realistic to what happened, right? But, I do, I think this is an S-class theory because it connects a lot of different things in the story, you know? Like, we, we do know that some devil fruits, have like even some Logia devil foods like like Crocs would have like these kind of innate weaknesses to them. And I do think it would be it would be if it were to happen, which I don't really expect, it would be very interesting. It would be something that I would love to read. So and it, it I think it was also a very creative theory. It's not something that I think I would have been able to come up with on my own. So that's why I think this is an S class theory, even though I don't actually think that's how it's fruited.
2: I right, was next to Mir. You want to move on to your theory? Do it. All right. Well, you know, Jordan has brought to us a theory from Grand Line Review. And the theory is that uh, uh, Kuma has to have previously attended a location in order to send somewhere there. Otherwise, how's he going to know where he's sending them? Right. Because otherwise, that person could end up in the ocean. Um, so on and so forth. Uh, the the biggest implication here is why did Kuma head on up to Marizoa before he decided to head over to Egghead, right? You know, a- Akenu's over there. Like, what is this man doing? And then he just dips. It doesn't seem like he, for, as a reader, doesn't seem like we've seen him do anything. It's very possible he could have just been there for the first time and is wanting to send someone there, uh, someone who's on Egghead.
0: Yeah, is that it? So for me. To start off with my ranking. This is an F class theory. For me. One has Kuma gone to Witheria? I know in his flashback we see him go to like you know the pop green island and all these other places. I don't remember seeing him go necessarily to a place like area where he sent Dom. So I don't actually, I, we have no confirmation in the story that Kuba actually needs. To show up to a particular location in order to send someone there. I also would be surprised if Kuma ever went to Amazon Lily because men are not allowed onto Amazon Lily. So, I I just I don't expect him to have have gone to that island. We know he sent Luffy there. Um, as for, I think the implication of the theory is that he shot himself to Marigwas because he needed to go there so that he could send up like. Like send other people to Mirajos later in the story, and my counter to that is that Kuma has already been to Mirajos. Like the Revolutionary Army, literally during the Reverie, went in there, busted him out, and took him away. So he's already been to that location. There's if if that like I I don't understand how the reasoning could be. He went back so that he could like store this in his memory when he already went there. So like a lot of it doesn't really make sense to me. So I'm going to have to give this one uh, an F class.
1: Now, did he, uh, was it him who was up there before or one of the pacifistas? Are we sure he was in marriage before? I really definitely missed that part myself.
0: Well, but then he ends up on, uh, with the revolutionary army, right? Because he blasts himself from the revolutionary base, like from, I don't think they're at Baltigo when that happened, but from the revolutionary base, marriage was, right? The only reason he's at a revolutionary space is because they rescued him during the revolution.
1: Well, he climbed up the red line to get there. He didn't just poof himself to marriage. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But, but like he... And so they, the that idea that he would have been at the bottom of the red line at some point, I, I just think it's interesting once we've seen him actually go visit these places, I just am really interested in the purpose for his journey to all these different places that he... And we saw him actually go to the places he ended up seeing the Straw Hats. And I'm interested in what the purpose of showing that Kuma specifically went to visit those places was, what he learned in those places and why, and how his power actually works because we don't want him to end up showing up in the random places.
0: Real quick, Samir just let us know. Chapter 1092 is literally titled Kuma's Rampage Through the Holy Land.
1: Was that not after after he climbed up there?
0: That was after he climbed up there. That was after he climbed up Yep. But That's even it. before... But they... they uh, The point's to say... Like, they did... They rescued him from the, 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 the Mirage was Like, he was... It was not a pacifist or something that was on there. But he climbed up there at that point. He didn't poof himself there. They, no, no. He climbed up there. You're right. But I'm saying, like... The point of this theory seems to me that he poofed himself the Mirage was and climbed up so that later on in the in the story, he could poof people... To marriage was right. I, I think that's right. that's the point of the theory, right? And my point right. is that he's already been to to the marriage Like we know for a fact he was because the revolutionary Army saved him. So why would he go back? Did they save him to, before like, or sa-
1: after he climbed up there?
0: Before before and during the reverie. You do you remember like during the reverie when like Sabo and all of them first go there? The the there there's like three goals. One of them is to like destroy the. Celestial Dragon's food supply. Another is to rescue Kuma, and then there's like a third one that I don't remember. But like Kuma is literally there. We see him like a dragon riding him like a horse. Like, like it's he's he's definitely at Mirajos.
1: Well, I forgot that then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so knowing that Bro.
0: is is this an, is this an F class? Is this an F class theory then? No. <laughs> it
1: must be an F class theory. There we go. I'm glad we can agree on something. I'll get, I come with that class theory sometimes too. Now, what's next to me?
2: Man, that's it for theories. Up next is uh, oh, life man, and other Abraham. Oh, man. Abraham
1: didn't bring two theories, man. I always bring two theories, except for this week. And I thought, oh, Abraham will bring two this week. I guess not. I guess, I guess... We,
0: both, we both slapped off this week. We both slapped I'm the one off. Who's it's a break
1: week. It's a break week. It happens. YouTube it videos. happens. Man, it's a break week. That means we should have been more on top of it than before. <laughs> What you talking hey, about? All, oh, I got to say, Jordan,
0: all the weeks we've been doing this, I'm the only one to come up here with my own original Nami Ginny theory. I created <laughs> that myself, that was my love <laughs> I have yet to see you come <laughs> and bring one of your own personal ones. What you mean, man? I got my Luffy <laughs> Ginny,
1: I got my Luffy Ginny theory. <laughs> That's my own personal theory. <laughs> I believe that one very deeply and I made it up myself. <laughs>
0: Oh, my gosh. So I don't want to hear any of this.
1: I don't want to hear any of this blasphemy saying I didn't bring my own theory. I'll come with one next week. Samir,
0: how do we do? How do you, what do you think? How do do you, how how do you feel?
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I gotta say, I agree with you both about the uh, Kuma has to go somewhere for it to be, you know, that, that, from my understanding, the timing of that theory came out after, you know, he encountered Akainu at Mari like that whole, he's been there, right? Now, now my side of that is, The only thing that I think holds – maybe holds that theory up is if Kuma was not aware he was at Mary Joie when he was enslaved by the dragons, right? I still think it's an F-class theory. Now, I got to say, though, regarding –
1: If he wasn't aware, now it might be more interesting. Go on (laughs) now. No, that's what I'm saying, though.
2: That's the the only thing that might prevent it from being an F-class, right? But I think overall – you know, yeah, of course, Kuma's a big traveler. He's been all over. Um, I think that definitely fits and supports the theory, but it to me, it just seems very unlikely that Kuma's been to all these places that he sent all of our Straw Hats.
0: Yeah, yeah I don't think he's gone to Amazon Lily to that point. I don't think he's gone to there.
2: Yep, yep. Um, And then actually going back, I don't know. See, the thing is, ever since the nika fruit reveal going back to the blackbeard logia theory i you know i i know it's not the game but i can't say it's an s-class theory but i also can't say it's an f-class theory because here's the thing i think oda's no, parameters
1: you are you no, not no, I, you <laughs> know what,
2: yeah. I don't play on the same rules as you two right so i can say what I want. <laughs> but i think that oda the way oda has now framed the story is that if someone doesn't know anything about a fruit that doesn't that doesn't mean that the fruit can't evolve. That doesn't mean the fruit can't be what they thought it was. You know what you know what I'm saying? Like just because, you know, Blackbeard had read about the yummy yummy fruit in that devil fruit encyclopedia doesn't mean that that's facts. Right. Because this whole time we thought that, oh, gum, gum fruit, you know, it's 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 meant to be a rubber body. It's like the natural opposing fruit to the chop, chop fruit, which buggy has. And then you're just telling me that it's some magical mythical zone fruit. Well, in that case, I don't know what the heck Blackbeard's fruit can be. It could be anything. Right. Like I'm not like, who knows? And and to that point, I think also the inclusion of Katakuri um, as a paramecia who acts like a logia. Right. I think that's a fair point that Blackbeard has a Logia that acts like a Paramecia, so I also think that hey, maybe maybe he doesn't have Logia properties. You know, there's always an exception. It seems like in the One Piece world, so I gotta say I'm kind of on the middle of the road there.
0: Oh, well, that's disappointing. Next time, I, I expect you to. I think we both expect you to to draw a line. <laughs> I gotta the be. A, all right, I gotta
2: <laughs> I gotta, I gotta <laughs> pick one line. All right, I'll stick to it. Yeah, you know, I gotta exactly. say though, if, I, if you gotta if you gotta have me pick though. I will lean that yeah. it's an A or B class theory, which pushes Ooh, me closer, that's to, S. closer to S. That's, that's closer right. to S. That's that right. That's right.
0: That is not how this works. I'm just saying.
2: Like <laughs> you devil know fruits, that, Abraham. Devil fruits are not Abraham, as rigid. Is,
1: you know, Abraham, devil fruits aren't as rigid not, as we thought they were. That is not how this works, Abraham. And you know that we just have to choose one or the other.
2: <laughs> you know, when you set oh, it up to good. be a binary, this is what's going to happen.
0: Yep. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk about the UU Hockey show live action. Samir, uh, not Samir, Jordan. Um, I haven't seen the trailer yet. You tell me how you felt about it, whether or not you think it will live up to the standard you have for a live action series, what you're looking forward to about it, maybe what you're a little apprehensive about. How did you feel about the trailer and everything else that's going on?
1: Man, wait, hold on. You telling me we talked about, we were going to talk about this yesterday? (laughs) <laughs> and this, <laughs> we pushed we pushed this meeting back. We did. Thirty we did. an hour and then another 30 minutes. Me and you were just yeah. sat on the chat hanging out waiting for me to drop his sister off. And you're yeah. telling me we did all that and you're gonna come here right now and tell me with a straight face that you've not watched you the trailer yet.
0: You wanna know why? You want I'll tell you, what, I'll, I'll give yeah, you why. I'll i Yeah, you do you wanna, why is that? Yeah. So I'm even though I got into anime at a really young age, as a young kid watching four kids, I did not watch Yu Yu Hakusho until I was like 27, 26, twenty seven, twenty six, like twenty seven, like until like two or three years ago. And I'm got. I thought it was fine, but like I don't have the nostalgia to look back on the series with a bunch the love that I think a lot of people like you and Samir have about the series. To well, me, mean- the series was. The, the series mean, was fine. The series was fine. What
1: you mean, fine? You mean you mean fine? Like you just walk Taylor Rooks walk by and you're like, dang, Taylor Rooks is fine. <laughs> no, is no, that what you mean? No, by no, fine? no.
0: I mean, like for for the era it was created. It's the same reason when people like new anime fans say stuff like, you know, Dragon Ball Z is not that good because you know, like Goku and Frieza's fight literally takes like five hours of like real. Like, I understand that there was a different standard for animation and stuff then, because I watched animes back then, right? But I don't plan really on watching the Yu Yu Hakusho live action because the anime itself, especially the ending, don't even get me started on the. I did not, I, the last arc as a whole, you could just like throw that shit away. I thought it was a complete waste of time. Even the arc before that, and Samir, Samir and I got into this for a little bit one day where I was just like, I personally didn't even really like the second last arc all that much. Um, So, yeah, I don't really intend to watch the series unless you guys can convince me otherwise. And so I never really watched the trailer either. I don't don't really intend to watch the live action.
1: There's so much there that's wrong about what you just said. (laughs) Like the thing about Dragon Ball Z, I want to even go back to that, right? I understand that Dragon Ball Z, based on the standard of anime and manga we have now, is not that yeah. good. When you talk about a five hour five hours of just Goku versus Frieza, just keeping yeah. on waiting around for Goku to turn Super Saiyan, this whole mythical thing that's happened. But I also understand that while that's not amazing storytelling, without it, we would not have this format. That we do have right now that's given birth to everything like Naruto, One Piece, Bleach, now of course My Hero, etc. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's what it's, I said. Tyson, I agree we, with that. we we understand that it's incredibly important for having the a new villain appears type thing. So even if you do watch it not having nostalgia, you can understand how important that it is to the genre. I won't hate on your point about the last arc, the last arc was a little bit terrible. Uh it's mostly just that it was <laughs> I mean mostly... I do I do want to
2: point out that Yu hakusho Show was slipping real fast in the ratings. And so it was just kind of like a hey, let's just close this shit out.
1: It's mostly that it was rushed towards the exit. And so you have an arc that for whatever potential it might have had just really got jammed together and we didn't even actually try and finish the story. Kind of like some other Manga about giants that have recently been released, but things like the Dark Tournament arc, the characters, yeah, it's one they of the best them. tournament arcs in modern sure. anime manga, and the 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 fights. It's it's the precursor to Hunter Hunter in terms of actually having a lot of these relatively creative ways of having characters use their powers against each other in a setting. That's just really aesthetically cool.
2: I, I mean, also want to point out yeah, that the uh, trope yeah. of having a demon inside you, that's one more thing that Yu Hakusho walked so other series could run, is that in the early 90s, that wasn't, a you know, while it was common to have otherworldly or supernatural powers with like another being uh, get assisting you or helping you, Yu Hakusho is really the series that put that kind of trope on the map. Of you you have this demon inside you that is going to run rampant and you have to try to contain its power. Now, after that, we know the series went downhill, like don't get me wrong, but yeah. that's just throwing that on the pile of it, things that you Hakusho, had to it, walk for again, so the series can run.
0: I feel like I acknowledge some of that, you know. I and first of all, the big thing I want to point out, I I love Dragon Ball Z. I brought that up as an example, but I watched Dragon, I watched Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z growing up. That has a special place in my heart, right? But I brought it up to say I understand what other people bring, like, those complaints up about that series. That's, it's, like, why Dragon Ball Kai is better than Dragon Ball Z, right? Because you have that kind of stuff expedited, right? And, like, I agree. Yu Yu Hakusho set up, Yu Yu Hakusho, Dragon Ball Z, all these series paved the way for the more modern shonen that we have today. I'm not arguing with you that about that at all. I'm just, and I can appreciate them for what they are. But in terms of my enjoyment of the series, my enjoyment is my enjoyment. And I did not, it, like, I just, I thought it was okay. Like, it peaked in the Darkness Tournament arc, you know, like the whole stuff with Toguro and whatnot, like, that was good. I, re- I really enjoyed the Darkness Tournament arc and some of the earlier arcs in the series. After the Darkness Tournament arc, it really went downhill. And
1: but to I be just, honest with you yeah. that's the part that most people are referencing when they talk about how amazing Yu Hakusho is. Yes. No <laughs> one's talking about the Three Kings Arc or whatever you call it at the end. The Sensui Arc is one that has Chapter Black of, Chapter Black has a lot of people who really like it. I think Sensui is a cool villain. I think there's ways in which honestly similar kind of thing where the power level being too great results in a few corny things that happen and a lot of people end up feeling relatively irrelevant. But the Dark Tournament and everything that happens before it, but especially the Dark Tournament, is one of the best tournament arcs in manga. Can you at least give me that?
0: I'll give you that. Darkness Tournament is one of the best tournament arcs in manga. Um, But I will say, it's not just the ending that I have an issue with. It's like, you know, a very slow grind, I felt like, at the beginning. you know, The first, like, however many episodes, you know, when Yuji's just dead trying to get his body back and... Him, UG. like first look. I understand, you know, you're setting up the the whole like everything with spirit energy and what. Uh, sorry, did I did I say? you can you, what can you just tell me, you? me
1: where? Can you tell me where you watch this? <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, did you watch this on the most booty subspan fan subtitle thing that calls Yusuke Yugi no, 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 as if it's yu oh and calls I, the dark no, tournament no, no. arc the darkness said, tournament arc? Is that is that what's happening right
0: now for him? I said I said Yugi because I've I've got Jujutsu Kaisen on my mind. <laughs> I meant you
1: Steve That's my bad. I thought you were. on that Yu Gi Oh bike duel. No. <laughs> no, no, no.
0: That's no, my I, bad. I had I had Jujitsu on my mind. If I can interject,
2: <laughs> I yeah, I actually yeah. I'll say I do agree with Abraham to an extent. Like now, for me, Yu Hakusho is one of those nostalgic series. I love the series. I, I love the characters. I, I you know I I reread it pretty often um but i will say it's funny when i reread it there's a reason i skip a lot of the early chapters is because it, this similar thing happens with other series right uh, especially from that time period where the series was finding its legs and that's kind of the issue uh is uh, another series that this reminds me of is uh hitman reborn which is i know it came a little later after Yu haka show but it's it's fair you know that's the truth um Yu show doesn't really have an identity for the first 20 to 30 chapters right and, and and while it's finding that identity of being a battle you know demon series it's it's slow it's not what you expect from it because if you showed somebody the dark tournament arc just by itself and they're like holy crap this is so cool and then you go back and you start the series with them from from episode one they're probably like what the fuck is this and that's facts
1: yeah, man. But he, he, so here's what happened is if you look at his old series, Togashi is basically a shoujo artist. A lot of his older series were just like love stories. And so he oh, goes... Yeah, I mean, that's why he got with he Sailor Moon, author. Story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He goes in creating a story that looks like a shojo, And I just bought a couple of, of the manga. It's one of the ones I've been re- recently checking back out again out of my collection. And a lot of the art, even, there's random times of Keiko just looking at Yusuke being like, Bang! And it's just drawn exactly like a shojo. Oh yeah. Karama, shading, dude, look at
2: Karama, man. Yeah. The
1: shading, the way the lips are drawn in, the way every little piece of hair is drawn in, the way you never see in a shonen. It's a dude who started writing that, found out his thing was gonna get canceled, started making a battle thing, and then from that point on, until a certain point, it was awesome. But that part was so awesome. And I need you to Yeah. Honestly, I can get down, Abraham, as long as you give me the Dark Tournament is one of the best arcs, because that's honestly the thing that most of us care about, who are you. I'm I mean, man, I him. said
0: that. I said, well, I would say it's one of the best tournament arcs. I think it's 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 a phenomenal arc on it in and of itself. I, I yeah, would give you that. We cool. It's we phenomenal. Cool. That's,
1: that's great. Yeah. I can do that. We're not going to talk about the trailer now. <laughs> Although I do say, yeah, I do I say we kind of got dream. off the rails on this <laughs> one. That's the more important topic. I couldn't deal with Abraham starting with, I didn't watch it. It's fine. So we're going on I to... Mean, to, to, dude,
2: going on well, to here's the irony. Here's the irony is that this, the live action series doesn't even have all these, it just matches everything together and says, fuck <laughs> you to all the distinct arcs that were in the series anyway. So let's be honest. They really don't have much to do with each other at this point.
1: There we go. Now you want to talk thought, about Draymond th- Green now, Abraham? Yeah, I thought you were gonna be you
0: gonna start throwing hands just like Draymond Green now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I might have <laughs> been
0: No, <laughs> 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 so for for you know, Samir, I don't, I don't, I know, I know you follow sports to some degree, but maybe not as closely as like Jordan and I do. Draymond Green is a uh, he's a he, he's future Hall of Famer in the NBA. He's a he he was. He's kind of, he's a bit older now though, so he's not as good as he used to be. And it just feels like he's, let's say this, earlier this year in the playoffs, he got kicked out of a game for stomping on a man's chest. He stomped on his chest, ejected him from the game, and suspended him one game. Start of this season, five, ten games into the year, he goes and chokes this other guy oh, out. Oh, is it chokes
2: Rudy Gobert? Yeah, I, I know chokes that one. Chokes Rudy yep, Gobert
0: yep. in the middle of the game. Oh, that's
2: how you say don't it. Don't right. be, don't
1: be making us look bad. Like we don't know anything about sports, Samir. Come on now. No, <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I'm just trying to figure it out. You can't be saying Rudy Gobert I, on this podcast, bro. <laughs>
2: I don't follow the NBA. All right, so when I see the that, NBA, my American side kicks in.
0: <laughs> NBA suspends him for five games because they're like, you can't be choking people out on the court, Draymond. He gets his suspension, comes back, and within two to three games, he gets ejected out of another game for punching this guy, Yusuf Nurkic. Essentially, it's like a, a a a back fist that 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 he throws, and now he's suspended indefinitely. And the thing that I want to just bring up is all of there's a, a characteristic that all of his victims, his latest victims, have shared. The first guy was Lithuania. The second guy was French, <laughs> and this latest guy is from Bosnia. So I don't know what it is. It seems like Grebon has a problem with these Europeans,
1: and he's just like systematically taking them out in these games. <laughs> that's funny. And he stepped on Sabonis. He stepped on Sabonis. Sabonis ex- exactly.
0: So yeah, that's what, what I'm saying. One.
1: And was it Stephen Adams who kicked him in the nuts? Yep. Well,
0: Stephen Adams. He's not from. He's not from our uh, Europe. He's from New Zealand. No, he's but, not European. Know, yeah, but he's four. He's yeah
1: yeah yeah that's a really interesting theory like it reminds me i know i was listening to the right time one time with the jones and he was talking about how in baseball maybe like some number that is way too high to not be statistically significant of yep. baseball fights are between a white player and a latino player someone like so, someone where the the white player is like dang you the, the dominicans they like having fun you know they flip the bats they celebrate yeah. and the white players are like, I don't like getting showed up by this Dominican Spanish Noablo Espanol fellow over here. You look so like gonna... you had to
0: hold yourself back from
1: saying a slur. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, man. Jordan was ready, man. I
1: was not about to say a slur, man. You all are tripping, man. I was not about to say a slur. I would not go there. But you know, you got these white dudes, they might be the ones who are about to say the slurs. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> And so it's the cultural differences. This when the white dude says, I'm going to throw a ball at the Dominican player. And next thing you know, you know, you got Big Poppy charging the mound against, I forget exactly who that was. He got in a fight with someone that's pretty good and he dodged the punch. But it's interesting wondering what that could be with Draymond, <laughs> when he says, I don't go after American players.
0: Oh, I There's this impression Wait. that I think a lot of Americans have that, I think especially white foreign-born players are softer than Americans. Like they didn't like that. Like like slums don't exist in Europe or in you know other countries. You know when and it just yeah. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is American. Yeah, and to, to to Samir's point, Draymond did get ejected from a game earlier today for for going out. Going. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair has got ejected for hitting LeBron in the nuts and LeBron is American. He's gotten ejected for... He's got He's had a lot of people. But it just seems like a lot of these more unhinged things have happened to these foreign-born players. And I do think part of it is maybe not race relations in that way, but more like this impression that these European players are soft because, you know, Europe doesn't really have ghettos like that, slums like that, which is not true.
1: Well, listen, you know, I want to say there's... It's like when your buddy starts dating a girl, let's say he's dating an Asian girl. And so he goes on um, a date with one and then they break up. And then he goes on a date with another Asian girl. And they break up. And it, Draymond Greens at about four Asian girls and he's going back in his history being like, Oh yeah, Donovan Mitchell, like I dated a I dated a white girl, I dated a black girl, <laughs> like it's like, <laughs> like But at some point, you're on type alert. Even if you have not 100% of your time been dating that same type, you're on type alert at some point. And with regard to the Donovan Mitchell and LeBron thing, it seems like Draymond Green is still on type alert right now with these European players. It's interesting thinking about it if he just thinks because they aren't part of his culture, like he can pick on them because they're soft. I know one thing that Shannon was talking about with the Jordan Poole fight Shanna talks about, yeah, I grew up in a place where people fight, and you never let someone close the distance on you. Once you let someone close the distance on you, you're gonna get punched in the face. That's not something oh. I knew because I didn't really grow up. I mean, I got in a couple fights at school back in you know middle school, elementary. We,
0: school. we know we we know where you went to high school. I saw I've seen
1: your high school. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my middle and elementary school was actually a lot a lot a lot different from that. Just oh, to be man, clear. me
2: too. Yep, yep. Because that's <laughs> no coming here. I will say the reason I don't have a British accent is because when you come to elementary school, middle school here, you know, like we had metal detectors that we had to go through every morning before we came into school. It's, it's like, you're a target, you're, you're a target. Like, it's it's true? You're a target. And if you don't (laughs) adapt, and if you don't fit in, like you will be a target. And I mean, that's facts. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who the majority group is. Right. I think it's going to happen to some degree whenever there is a larger majority group. And I think that can be applied. Samir
0: so, so was out here slumming in East St. Louis, <laughs> 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 <Cool>. <laughs> metal detectors. Man, I
2: will yeah, tell you, I will Saint, you tell you,
1: East St. To, to, to MICDS. East the Saint difference, yes, the difference <laughs> between
2: my my schools when I went to you know private school versus the public school I went to was night and day, and I am not kidding about that.
1: Don't make it racial, bro. <laughs> don't make it racial. Man, nice night step. night and day. That's okay? huge. Don't All make it get racial, out bro. Here. Come on. <laughs> make...
2: Am I supposed to relate this black back to the uh, blackbeards of now? Racial. No,
1: man. But, but the point I'm making is, is, is they might not have those cultural things that Shannon is talking about where, where you understand how to respond to someone going crazy. Now, to be fair, I don't know how you respond when the other day Draymond just literally flips around and hits someone that way. Yeah but it might be that they don't the european players aren't used to being in a culture where that where you have to present that kind of of persona to keep yourself from getting bullied over the course of the game
0: i i think that for draymond a lot of it is just like classic classic bully behavior he doesn't go after with these more egregious incidents right like the steven adams thing i do think he I don't think he was necessarily aiming to kick him in the nuts, which is what ended up happening. I think he was kind of flailing. But these things like the Jordan Poole punch, the him choking out Rudy Gobert, I think he's going after players that he strongly feels like will not retaliate in kind. Like, Jordan Poole is not throwing any punches during Rudy Gobert doesn't seem like that kind of guy to do that either, right? But he's not going after... Um, like if you if you know if you were in the nineties, he's not going after a guy like Charles Oak. He's not going after a guy that that will step up to him if he steps that way, right? I and it does it does seem like classic kind of bully behavior to me. And maybe he, he does have it in his head that he's just like because it's it's not just Raymond. Like you see like the Morris brothers, who are a couple other NBA players. One of them went after like Jokic a couple of years ago, you know? And Jokic, is right. like a Serbian dude, who's like the best player in the in the league right now, and I mean,
1: ne- never yeah. forget that Bruce Bowen kicked a dude in the face. Yeah, like it is yeah. not just Draymond Green. Bruce Bowen kicked a dude in the face with like a yeah. ninja flying kick in an NBA game.
0: Yeah, he's playing lockdown defense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, it's I think in general these. Players from Europe just have this, there's a stigma that they are soft and that they are, you know, finesse players that they are not going to, that they didn't grow up with the kind of struggle that American boys have. When a lot of these people come from like war-torn countries or come from poverty as well, and they know what the struggle is like, even if it's a different struggle than like the US struggle, right? And so I do th- I I do. I do think it's, uh, a matter of him being intentional with the kind of victims that he chooses to pick pick out.
1: Right. Yeah, it, there's no you question think? about that. I mean, he obviously made some mistake with Steven Adams and LeBron, but in a lot of the other ways, it does seem like he's choosing bad guys. Yeah, or yeah, guys yeah, he yeah. think guys he thinks are weaker than him. But I think that's all we got for today, right? So thanks everyone so for listening. Too. Like, subscribe, whatever. All five of you who are actually listening to this at this point, thank you to our friend. Oh, yeah. Joaquin and Becky for giving us feedback at this point. And today, he's smart. I'm fast. To me, he doesn't have any hair. He's bald. Thanks for listening, everybody.
2: Take care. Thank you.